It's probably the most common question I get at boat shows, consumer shows, and in my travels. If you had to pick just one lure, what would you pick? Well, I did that podcast for multi-species, but now we're going to break it down by specific fish, and we're going to start off with trout. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, Chad Lachance here. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. Of course, brought to you, as always, by the fine folks at Sportsman's Warehouse. Visit them at 140 plus stores nationwide or at sportsmans.com. Guys, it is the first week of February. In fact, it's Groundhog Day. Word has it, Puxatani Phil did not see his shadow. I promise that had nothing to do with the 55 grainer out of my 22-250. He just flat didn't see it. Uh, jokes aside, they say we're headed for early spring, and I hope we are. But in the meantime, I got a quick trip to Florida to go down and do some fishing, or a couple of trips to Florida, I should say, in the next 60 days uh, to go do some fishing. And uh, I'm going to visit a couple of the new local sportsman's warehouses down there. I've not seen a coastal sportsman's warehouse, so it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Looking forward to it, but uh, don't forget to check out Sportsman's Warehouse and all of your travels. As I alluded to in the beginning, guys, it's such a such a common question. Hey, man, if you're only picking one lure, what are you getting? Or what's the best lure? Blah, blah, blah. I get that question all the time. And it's such a simple answer, uh, or such a simpleton, I should say, question that I give simple answers. And if you've listened to this podcast very much, or you've watched Fishful Thinker television on TV or the internet or whatever, you know what my answer is. My answer to that's going to be a gold minnow on a jig head. And that's for a all species. But that is not my answer if I break it down by specific species. Because the gold minnow on a jig head will catch anybody. I promise you that. Anybody that swims from, from sharks to sunfish. However, of course it has limitations. So if I look at it by specific species... I can tailor the lure to that species a little bit better. And so over the next couple of weeks, uh, maybe three weeks, I'm going to mix in some podcasts that are specific to that. What one lure am I choosing for specific species of fish as opposed to just for fish in general? And my answer is going to vary widely depending on what species of fish it is we're talking about. So I'm starting off today with trout, but we're also going to talk about largemouth bass and smallmouth bass. Uh, walleyes for sure, and then I'll probably do the white bass and wipers. And then if there's other species you guys want me to talk about, let me know, and I'll be glad to do that as well. But in the meantime, that's kind of my plan for, let's say, the next month uh, worth of, of podcasts and, and some content stuff. So <clears throat> let's get right into the meat of this thing. Uh, for me, a lure to be versatile, uh, to, be, to be the one that I'm going to choose for species, first of all, it has to get lots of bites. I mean, we have, that's, just, that's obvious, right? I shouldn't even have to say that, but it's the truth. It has to be a lure that can get lots of bites. So in other words, it has to be able to be versatile enough in how I make it move that it can get lots of bites. Also, for me to pick a lure that's, a, that's the most versatile for any given species, uh, it has to be able to work in a variety of situations depth-wise. So what that really means, I need to be able to work it vertically or horizontally because once you get out past a certain depth range, if you can't work the lure vertically, as in straight under your boat or kayak or whatever the case might be, or through the ice as the case might be, um, then obviously you're having to pick something else, and therefore my one lure isn't going to get it done. So if we're talking about fish that are, say, 25 feet deep, well, my choices of lures get, get slimmed down a whole bunch. The other thing is it has to be legal everywhere. 
and uh, has to be available in a wide range of sizes because my target species, in this case trout, might range from you know seven or eight to ten inches long, all the way up to you know eight, nine, ten, twelve, fifteen pounds, and they're going to bite different things. So. I need my lure to be very, very versatile. So when it comes to trout, my answer is going to be pretty easy. I don't think it's going to come as a giant surprise to anyone, <clears throat> but it might. And my selection is going to be, without question, a tube jig. And not a gold minnow, and not a horizontal bait like a, a spinner or anything like that, not a hard bait of any kind. I'm going to the tube jig. And let's talk specifically about what makes a tube jig so good for trout fishing. And first we need to look at what some traits of trout, let's just say. And one of the biggest things to keep in mind about trout is they are very, very excitable. It's a fish that responds very well to erraticness or instant acceleration or deceleration of a bait or a sudden stop of a bait or direction change of a bait. Anything that changes it up is a fantastic way to get trout to bite. And if you're a pure fly fisherman, you're listening to this going, that makes no sense. You drift baits, you drift flies, I should say, and they drift naturally, and that gets trout to bite. And that's very true. But the term crash the hatch, which I probably think started with a streamer guy, although I really couldn't say, um, but it's a real thing. A trout can be feeding, there could be 10 million mayflies, and he's driving himself crazy picking mayflies off one after the other. I can still get them to bite a lot of other things very easily, just by using speed or erraticness to get them to bite. Now, somebody's going to say, well, I changed flies 15 times you didn't bite. Well, that's okay because the motion that you get it was the same. It drifted over the top of the fish, giving him no incentive to bite it other than feeding on it. But if I put something like a tube jig in front of that trout, and just about the time it drifts into his vision to where he can see it and he realizes it's there, I'll snap it hard away from him. And you would be surprised at how that sudden motion will get a trout to forget he's ever even seen a mayfly. So first and foremost, to be a good trout bait for me, it has to appeal to their excitability. And so I need to be able to do that with a lure and a tube jig will do that. That, that excitability is the trout's biggest weakness, in my opinion, when it comes to getting caught. And I have to be able to address that with my lure and I can do that with a tube jig. And we'll get into the specifics of how I do that here in a minute. Another thing it has to be is a reasonably realistic profile because trout live in very clear water. So in the event that I want to drift a bait or more or less match the hatch, a tube jig is realistic enough that it will still work for that situation. And uh, Berkeley, the research scientists at Berkeley spent a lot of money to figure out that the more realistic they made stuff, the less bites it got, the more generic they leave a bait in terms of no appendages, no stuff hanging off it, no built-in action, the more often fish will bite it. And I think it comes down to negative clues. It gives them no reason to figure out that it's fake. Well, a tube jig is along those lines. It's suggestive of a lot of things, but it doesn't have a lot of its own movement that I don't impart to it. So from that standpoint, a tube jig is a really good call for trout because it's unrealistic enough in clear water that I can, I can feed it to them, but I can also make it fast and erratic and things like that. So there's that. Another thing it has to have to be extremely versatile uh, because trout will hit a variety of food sizes 
is got to be the size range of my bait. It needs to be small enough of whatever lure I'm going to choose that I can fish through the ice where trout's going to have all kinds of time to look at it and only limited motion options that you can give to it. It needs to be available really small or it needs to be available all the way up to big. And a couple of the biggest trout I've ever caught, in fact, one of the biggest trout I ever caught, bit a tube jig, but it didn't bite the tube jig that you're thinking of. It bit a five-inch long, three-quarter ounce weighted tube jig. And if that sounds like a lake trout, lake trout jig, it is a lake trout jig. And But was I fishing it in a lake? No, I wasn't fishing it in a reservoir either. I was fishing it in Colorado's famous Colorado River. And the reason I'm fishing a bait that big and that heavy in the river is because of the food sources and the size of the trout I'm targeting. So I need a jig or I need a lure that's available to match those five inch long sculpins that live in the river all the way down to the fish fry that they might be eating under the ice. So again, a tube jig will cover all of those bases as well. And then the other thing is I don't want it to give off any flash or vibration unless I want it to. And we'll go back to that for a reason. But I typically, when it comes to trout, I don't want flash or vibration. They're highly refined fish. They're extremely visual and they're very good at locating baits. The only time I want flash and vibration for trout is if it's something that's going very fast and I can add flash and vibration to a tube jig and we'll talk about that in a minute. So those are the key things from trout that I feel like I need um, from trout specifically is, is the size range, uh, the vertical versus horizontal thing, the ability to work them uh, erratically or very evenly. And those are all important. Now the, the reason the tube jig fits all those bills are part of the reason one, I can work it tip down and horizontally, almost like a jerk bait. So because it's a two-part lure, in other words, a jig head and a rubber body, I can put a light jig head in a bigger body, or I can put a heavy jig head in a smaller body, or anywhere along those lines. So depending on what I want that jig head to do, let's say I'm carrying a box with nothing but three-inch tube jigs in it. Well, it, it will... It will react completely different if I stick a 16th ounce jig head in it than it will if I put an 8th ounce jig in it than it will if I put a quarter ounce jig in it with the same tube. So that goes to the versatility right there. And the other thing is if I want to work it horizontally, all I can do is put that light jig head in it, work it tip down, and it will work reasonably well in a jerkbait style retrieve. Conversely, I can put the heavy jig head in it and I can take that same tube and I can snap it with the rod tip tip up and do a snap, a hard and aggressive snap, as in snap jigging, uh, what I like to call it and others like to call it, and it will fall very quickly. And so the, the bait is extremely erratic in a kind of a hybrid retrieve where I cast it out, let it go to the bottom, snap it up, and then take up some slack and snap it up and work it back to the boat where it's working up and down in a classic jig retrieve all the way back to the boat. The other thing is I can tight line it. I can throw it out there and just hold the line tight. And because of the lime tie at the top and the way a tube jig is designed, it will kind of hunt its way back and forth. It won't sink straight down if you keep the line tight. It will pendulum towards you and it will kind of hunt its way back and forth. But if I want it to be even more erratic than that, all I have to do is move the jig head a little bit back in the tube before I squeeze the eye out, therefore creating an air pocket at the front of the tube. And now it will spiral like crazy on the drop uh, to the point where I can't really even reel it in because it'll spin like crazy and twist up your line. So the, the rigging options for the tube jig are, are very versatile as well, and that will let me deal with a lot of trout. So 
another thing, that, another reason that I really like the tube jig for trout is uh, it's recklessly expendable. They are not expensive. And one of my biggest peeves is people that spend money on lures and then they're afraid to get them lost. I'm afraid to throw it because I'll lose it. Well, that's part of the reason some of the other lures, I could have picked, in my opinion, a power switch for this bait right here. I could have picked that and said, okay, because it's available from five inches all the way down to an inch and three quarters, uh, it fits a lot of the criteria that a tube jig does. The difference being is because it's internally weighted, I have to carry more of them. I can't just carry jig heads and then mix and match my size versus weight. So that gives me more versatility from a tube. But more importantly, tubes are way less expensive. So if I'm going to throw it in a river, let's say, especially if I'm doing something like the big tube jig with the heavy weight in it, you're going to snag some of those. And if you're breaking off tube jigs, you're losing a buck, buck and a half a piece. If you're breaking off power switches, you're losing three bucks a piece. So... There's a fundamental difference there in the versatility because I'm willing to throw the tube jig anywhere and I can very quickly change it up on the fly. It's available in infinite number of colors. And, and if I really want to get crazy, I can fill it up with scent uh, with something like a quote unquote smelly jelly or gulp liquid and fill the tube jig up with scent and then have a tremendous scent profile. And that'll give trout another, uh, another reason to bite it if they get close to it. And I have lately been experimenting with tube jigs here this winter by stuffing a hunk of power bait in them and then stuffing the tube in inside, stuffing the jig inside of there. And then I've got a little bit of power bait that bleeds off uh, as the tube jig comes through the water column. And, I, I, and keep in mind, too, the tube itself is made out of a power bait scented uh, plastic as well. So it's got a lot of flavor profile to it, and, uh, and that can be really good. I want to point out one thing here. Speaking of flavor profile, um, no salt, no scent. That's a real regulation in a lot of places around the state of Colorado. The artificial flies and lures only regulation, at least in Colorado, means no salt and no scent. So there are plenty of companies, and Sportsman's Warehouse sells several of them, that make unscented tube jigs. So they're completely legal, which is a reason that both the power switch and the gulp minnow and some things like that don't make this list because they will not be legal in a lot of places in the state and therefore they will lose their versatility. So uh, the unscented versions are really important. So, and for me, my confidence level with the tube jig with trout fishing is so high that I'm perfectly happy to go to any river in the state on any given day and have nothing but a box of tubes and a box of jig heads and go fishing. I'm completely fine with that. And the only thing, the only difference in that box from place to place will be dictated by the size of the water more than the size of the fish because the smaller the waters get, even if they've got the same size trout in them, the less room I have to work a bait and the more tight, confined place that my bait and my fish are going to interact with each other. And you, a big bait can be off-putting in that scenario in the same way of the proverbial 800-pound gorilla in the room. There's not a lot of big baits for trout in general. And he's in a very small hole most of what he eats in a small river is very small, and he's not expecting some you know, five-inch thing to come cruising into his airspace, let's just say. So when I'm choosing my box of tubes to go trout fishing, if I'm in a creek or small, a small body of water, my tube selection is going to be smaller, say one inch to three inch on the outside. Uh, one inch on the inside, three inch on the outside. And I might go anywhere from a 32nd ounce jig head up to maybe an 8th ounce jig head. 
and my rod and line will be sized accordingly, right? In that case, I'll be in a light-powered rod. Um, for me, always braided line. When it comes to a tube jig, it's pretty much always braided line. I would have on the rod like that, something like six pound uh, X9 braid, very thin, very supple, uh, very smooth, works excellent, handles great. That's probably what I would have in a six pound fluorocarbon leader. And that would be for small bodies of water. Um, you know, a small creek in, in uh, maybe, maybe I don't know, 15, 20, 25 feet across at the most, relatively shallow, picture a brookie stream, something like that. Also, wintertime tailwaters, I might go that route as well with, this, with the box, the small tube. So again, they're going to be somewhere between maybe an inch long and three inches long. Uh, depending on where I'm going, the scent or salt regulation may be in play, and I'll, and I'll choose my tubes accordingly. Then from there, the next size up river, more of a, an average size just all around river, then they're going to be somewhere between an inch and a half and four inches long most of the time. And my jig heads are going to be a sixteenth to a quarter. And again, that'll cover the whole river. I can work the deep plunge pools. I can work the riffles. I can work them tip up. I can work them tip down. I can do anything with the bait. Uh, I can literally drag it on the bottom in sandy areas, which is a fantastic way to get bites from trout. Uh, I can swing it across in the current and just kind of let it wobble its way across current. There's just a lot of things I can do with the tube. And in that size range is where I'm most comfortable. Somewhere in the two and a half inch to three inch range is where I'm most comfortable for average trout all the way around. So that's the size I'm picking for an average size river. Then let's say I'm going to some of the biggest rivers around, maybe the Colorado River, maybe the Arkansas River in certain areas, maybe the Roaring Fork in certain areas. Um, but any of the bigger rivers the, where I've got deep water and big plunge pools and potentially big fish, uh, even some areas of the Blue River on the lower blue, then I'm going to step up and I'm going to go to some of the bigger tubes potentially. So I'll still probably bottom out in the inch and a half range, maybe two inch range, but my top end tubes will be five, maybe even six inches long. And that's because the food sources in those big roaring rivers tend to be sculpin and whitefish and baby trout. Well, those are anywhere between about three and a half and five inches long, and so maybe even six inches long. And so a big tube jig that works very tight to the bottom with a big weight in it is an excellent way to mimic uh, particularly sculpins. And sculpins, if you're not familiar with them, um, if you're a a guy from back east, they look very much like gobies, almost identical to gobies. They don't have a swim bladder. They don't leave the bottom. They walk on their pectoral fins to get around the bottom, and they live in the riffles uh, in the cobbles. Well, But they also get knocked loose, and they, because they're poor swimmers, they get drift tight to the bottom in the current, and they are a trout's favorite thing. The biologist that introduced me to sculpins, we went and sampled the Colorado River, Mr. John Ewart, uh, John and I electrofished the Colorado River, and we, he showed me the sculpins, where they live, what they look like, all their size ranges, and his exact term for them were scooby snacks for trout. Because when they do isotope analysis on the trout, they find out that the vast majority of their diet is fish, and the vast majority of those fish are sculpin once they get over about 20 inches long. Well, if I want to catch a 10-pound trout in the Colorado River, it stands to reason that I need a big bait tied tight to the bottom because that's where and how they feed. It's not so much that it has to look exactly like a sculpin. It just needs to be in the place and more or less acting like a sculpin 
most important thing being in the place thereof. So that same five inch tube jig with a small weight in it worked high in the column is not gonna be as effective as that five inch tube jig with a big weight in it that barely leaves the bottom such that I have to pick, up, pick it up the slack, you know, pick it up on tight line to where the kernel push it down. Keep in mind that those gobies live, or excuse me, those sculpins live in the riffles. So you're dealing with fast water. And my favorite presentation with that big tube, by the way, in the river is right at the tail end of the, of the riffles as they dump into the head of the pools. Because I always envision the great big trout sitting at the bottom of the head of the pools, waiting for those sculpins to come tumbling down the riffles and, uh, and eating them. Uh, and for the record, the 10-pound the rainbow that I caught that I referenced at the beginning of this, ate the 5-inch tube jig, that was the exact scenario. I threw it up into the riffle, worked about the last 15 feet of the riffle, and then let it drift, it, let it drop down into the hole. It got down with the water down into the hole, into the deepest water, and wham, got bit by a 10-pounder, And who, by the way, choked that thing. So um, that's where the, the tube jig, again, shows its versatility because I could be in the in the brook trout stream with a one inch version and a, and a 16th ounce weight in it, I could be all the way up to five inch with a three quarter ounce weight in it. So tube jig's great in those regard, regards. Couple of key things, um, generally gonna run them in dark colors, dark greens, dark browns, or black. That's, that's the overwhelming majority of them when it comes to running water or normal trout waters, meaning uh, say the prairie pothole lakes like the Delaney's or, or North Park, South Park, uh, Laramie Plains lakes, any of the shallow trout only type uh, pothole lakes that we have all around. Dark colors, I think they're just a better mimic of more of the natural things in the ecosystem. And keep in mind those bodies of water that I'm referencing don't have bait fish per se. They have minnows of various sorts, but they don't have the shad or the or the smelt or alewives or anything like that in them. So you're not dealing with light-colored bait fish. Now, there is some argument for a light-colored tube in the river. Uh, if you've got a lot of trout, baby trout or mountain whitefish, you can put some arguments there. But again, I'm just generally going to fade down to a light brown, otherwise known as a root beer color, which by the way is one of my favorite colors in tube jigs for trout. Uh, is a kind of a root beer color. It's kind of a translucent color. Berkeley made him in a power tube for years and years and years. One of my favorite colors for trout. Still probably the favorite color for trout, actually. Uh, and I love translucence in general uh, for trout. But it's generally going to be greens, browns, or blacks for most situations. Maybe a dark gray um, in a reservoir situation or a gray, maybe even an off-white color, pearl white, because of this, the shad smelt alewives, um, fathead minnow type scenario that you might find in a reservoir situation. So in that scenario, I found like a silver tube can be really good, particularly in the fall when shad are dying off and you'll get trout feeding on them heavy. They'll mix right in with walleyes and bass and feed on those trout. That light colored tube is a fantastic scenario there, at which point we're working almost purely vertically and trout will eat it up doing that. So in that scenario, I'll run a light colored tube in heavy running water, uh, like muddy water, I should say, like spring runoff conditions, it's pretty common that I'll run either like a bubblegum pink or a hot uh, fluorescent orange or a red one or a pure white or a pure black one in the river. And the reason being is just to help the fish locate it. In this scenario of high water, muddy water, I think there's a misnomer that the trout don't feed, and I, that, that is not true. I think the reason that most guys struggle with catching them is they don't amend their techniques such that the trout can find their lures, especially fly guys. And I've got some 
fly fishing buddies that are fantastic fly fishermen, high-level fly fishermen, guides, whatever. They always lament the high water because it makes it hard to wade. It makes it hard for fish to locate their flies. But that scenario where I can get a very bright-colored tube jig, I can work it really tight to the current seams and banks that the fish are going to sit on. Uh, particularly, they'll get right up against the banks. As anyone that fishes high water knows, the trout will get right up against the banks looking for some reprieve from the current. Tube jig is relatively snag-proof. It's, it's, again, affordable, so I can throw it right up against the banks. I can do it from all the way across the river so I don't have to wade, which can be a critical thing when water's high and muddy and you can't see the bottom, particularly because usually when the water's high and muddy, it's also very cold. Uh, so from the safety standpoint, I don't have to wade. And because those tubes tend to be heavy enough that I can throw them well, I can also do it on heavy enough tackle that getting trout back across the current without hurting them is important. And if I do it with too light of a line, too small of a lures, then I have to nurse them so much to not break them off that they're exhausted by the time I get them. But if I'm throwing a three-inch tube jig with a quarter-ounce weight in it all the way across the river, I can do that on 15-pound braid. It's got a big, heavy hook in it, and I can get that trout across the current without fear of breaking the line. The only fear you have there is, is them straightening the hook and coming off. And if that's the case, you didn't hurt the trout any. So... Uh, that's the important thing about that whole scenario. So that's my, that's my basic rundown. And I said that I would tell you one thing about flash and vibration. A tube jig can be put on a beetle spin arm as well. So you take that same tube jig, only now you put it on a beetle spin arm. And if you're not familiar with that, if you go on our YouTube channel at Fishful Tanker, you can look up that beetle spin rig that we throw. But any jig head can be put on that beetle spin arm, and that includes a tube jig. And now I've got a little spinning blade that will give me flash and vibration. So when the water is very muddy, or I want to fish in the dark, would be a scenario where the vibration would be very good. And brown trout love the dark. Uh, a vibration will be your friends in the dark. It will help the trout locate it because their visibility will go away, obviously, in the dark. And therefore, uh, that vibration will help them locate your bait. And so in that scenario, I'll put them on a beetle spin arm. Usually, I want that beetle spin arm to have a long, thin, willow-style blade as opposed to a short, round blade because the vibration is a higher frequency and gives off a little bit less range, meaning it's a little bit more subtle. The lower frequency, the more range it's going to have. And... Uh, and so we don't necessarily want that. So that's the scenario there, and um, and that's my, my basic rundown on trout. So if I'm picking one as part of this deal, and I'm going trout fishing anywhere around, I didn't mention ice because I'm not an ice fisherman, but anyone that ice fishes knows that the small tube jig through the ice is a very good bet as well. Um, but really any scenario in which I'm catching trout, I can do so with a tube jig from, from cutthroats in the high mountains in crystal clear water using translucent small tubes all the way to, you know, big giant hook jawed sculpin eaters living in 15 foot deep plunge pools in the bottom of the Colorado River with a five inch tube jig and everywhere in between. So if you guys have questions or you would like some specifics on it, please shoot me an email chat at fishfulthinker.com. Otherwise, uh, feel free to follow along on our social media. That's at Fishful Thinker across all platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. I've already mentioned our YouTube channel, but please check that out as well. It's a labor of love. We put a lot of effort into that one. And, uh, and I would love to have you guys check in, hit the subscribe button while you're there. Uh, that would be a major, major thing for us. We appreciate it very much. And, of course, we hope you'll tune in to Altitude Sports Entertainment or World Fishing Network and see what we got going on right there. Season 28 is about halfway through, and we're having a good time with it. So thanks for listening, guys. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast. <laughs>